Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Break the Cycle. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about education. And this is a topic that, one, sounds very vague, uh, because education can be relating to so many different things, not just um, in an academic context. But in this episode particularly, we're going to be talking about my journey with education. And this is a topic that, you know, I was very hesitant to do at first. Like, I was planning to originally do this episode last year, actually, when the podcast first started out. And I decided not to because I felt like I couldn't talk about a journey that I still felt like I was not finished with. Um, And also, I was hesitant because... I still hadn't fully processed my education journey and I was still in a space where I was kind of judging myself for it um, because I had a very unconventional education journey, um, at least in my college years. And I was afraid. I was afraid of judgment. I was afraid of being looked at like, oh, what? It took you that long to finish college? What? Um, But now I'm in a space where... I've been able to process that journey, look back, understand that everything happens for a reason, understand that those obstacles made me who I am and taught me the lessons that I now apply to my life today. Um, And I also felt like, you know what, I have a good enough relationship with my Break the Cycle listeners where they're not going to judge me because you guys know me, you know where I'm coming from and you know that I always speak the truth about what I went through and what I learned from it. Um, And I'm also hoping that this episode can help somebody who's going through something similar, whether you're a first-generation student or whether this is your first time in college or you're in the middle of college and you're going through some things that you're trying to figure out. I hope that this episode can help you or at least bring you some kind of enlightenment. So with that being said, I thought I would start the episode with, you know, talking a little bit about myself and how my family history uh, relates to education, and even talk a little bit about how that background has made me into who I am today and is connected to an initiative that I am actually currently working on. So for those of you that don't know, my name is Darleni. Um, I come from the Dominican Republic, but I come from a beautiful rural town in the Dominican Republic called Hima Bonao located in El Cibao region. El Cibao is known for its mountains and agriculture. And there are definitely affluent parts of El Cibao um, and modern parts of El Cibao and Bonao. But where I come from, Hima, is a small rural community, a, a campo, as we call it in the Dominican Republic, where there's not a lot of resources. And there's, until recently, hasn't been a lot of modernity. And... It's a town where education is not that available to students the way it was available to me growing up. And what I mean by that is it's a town where there's only one school, one high school, there's no libraries, Uh, most students can't afford uniforms or new uniforms or new school supplies or even new backpacks. There's a limited amount of teachers available to teach kids in these communities. So a lot of students have to be in one classroom, but there'll be multiple grades in one classroom. So third graders, fourth graders, and fifth graders have to all take class together. Um, And these kids are just 
disproportionately impacted when it comes to education and equity in the Dominican Republic. Like these kids are twice as likely to not finish school compared to kids in urban communities in the DR. Over 20% of them don't even finish elementary school. And the grade that they're more likely to repeat is the third grade. And this isn't a surprise, really, considering the fact that the Dominican Republic isn't known for access to education equity. In fact, the Dominican Republic has one of the highest learning poverty rates in the world. Over 75% of students in the Dominican Republic cannot read and comprehend a simple story by the age of 10. That's what learning poor means. And over 75% of students struggle with this. And of course, most of the students are going to come out of rural communities because, as I said, these students come from marginalized communities where they are negatively impacted by education inequity because they don't have access to the same kind of academic resources that students in more affluent and urban communities in the DR have access to. And why am I telling you this? Why should you care? For two reasons. One, it's directly connected to my education journey, believe it or not. And two, because it's also directly connected to an initiative that I'm working on right now called AC Wild Drive, which I'm going to just put in a quick plug, is a fundraiser that I'm working on with Latinas y Líderes, a nonprofit organization. Um, and our goal is to raise enough money to buy 50 book bags full of school supplies, hygiene products, and books for kids from HEMA and another town in Elisibao. Our goal is not only to help kids have access to these resources, but to hopefully inspire them to look at their academic future differently, to beat the odds, to not be another statistic. My hope is that one of these kids can pick up one of those books and that it can light a spark in their brain make them look at themselves differently, inspire them to want to be more and do more despite their circumstances. Now, my own education journey inspired me to start LC Wild Drive. And before I talk about that, I do want to say that if you want more information on how to support and donate LC Wild Drive, you can either go to GoFundMe.com and look up Wild Book Bag Drive or you can go to my Instagram at Darleny, D-A-R-L-E-N-Y dot S-U-R-I-E-L, Suriel, and click on the link. And there you can read more about the fundraiser in our website, as well as see how you can support through our GoFundMe or through our Amazon registry. But as I mentioned earlier, these circumstances that these kids in the campus of the Dominican Republic in campus like Hima, the circumstances that they have to grow up in were the circumstances that my mother had to grow up in and my father. Those are the circumstances that my grandparents had to grow up in. In fact, even worse, because education wasn't prioritized. Education was a luxury. What what was prioritized was what was a necessity was survival, was working the fields and walking the cows because that's how you ate. That's how a family of seven or four or five, that's how they survived. And education was something of like, okay, waste your time with that if you want to, but what really matters is what you do in the fields and what really matters is the income you're bringing into your family, which is why a lot of kids don't finish school because they have to get a job before they can finish school or they have to you know, focus on helping their family survive and they can't think about things like school. Education 
wasn't a priority in my father's household. And it definitely wasn't a priority in my mother's household because she didn't even finish high school until she was pregnant with my sister, with my little sister. And she was already entering her 30s at that point. Now me, the daughter of two Dominican parents that didn't go past high school, and the granddaughter of two Dominican grandparents who never went past the third grade, I had the privilege of growing up in a household where education was priority before anything else. And looking back, there were a lot of factors that contributed to me growing up this way. Um, For starters, as I mentioned before, I'm an immigrant. I came to New York City at the age of four. I literally grew up in New York. Um, I was born in the Dominican Republic, and I'm very proud of that. But my most formative years were spent here. Um, The American education system educated me. The New York State education system formed me and molded me into who I am today. And the truth is, I just had certain privileges and access to certain privileges that the kids back home, including my own cousins and own family members, didn't have access to. And I'm talking about things that we take for granted in this country. I'm talking about public libraries. There's now probably around four or five big public libraries in the entire country, and they're not accessible to kids in rural communities. They're just not. They're located in the most in the more affluent quote-unquote, educated communities in the Dominican Republic. But here in New York, there was a library everywhere. In the Bronx, which is where I'm from, which is also a marginalized borough, I had access to two libraries near my home. And as somebody who loved to read but could not afford to buy books and my parents could not afford to buy new books, the library was a safe haven to me. Free books in school, that was like... It was, it was Christmas for me, honestly, because not only did it help inspire me, did it open me up to different worlds that existed, um, did it help me with my vocabulary, but it literally helped me learn English. When I came to this country, I didn't know how to speak the language. Neither did my mother. My sister was still a newborn, and my dad spoke English, but a very broken English that he taught himself in the DR. Um, And I was able to master the language of English through reading, through academic support from teachers and counselors. And again, these are resources that we don't think of it as a privilege, but they don't exist in the Dominican Republic. And it's not an exaggeration to say that those definitive moments influenced who I am today and what my goals in life are today and how I view my future. But I'll also be honest, that's where my relationship with education started getting complicated. As a recent immigrant, a child who was learning a new language and who still spoke in an accent and had to get extra help from ESL teachers, um, I was bullied a lot, like a lot. And I just remember feeling like I had to prove myself. Like I just remember always feeling like While everybody was reading, like, you know, the fun books, I had to read the really hard chapter books because I wanted to show them that, you know, what I couldn't, maybe what I couldn't express with my language, I could express with my mind. I kind of felt like I had to prove 
at the time I felt like I had to prove I had to prove it to my teachers and my classmates but looking back I realized it was to myself but I had to prove to myself that you know I was just as smart as these kids that spoke perfect English and were born here and grew up here and I struggled a lot I struggled a lot with homework I hated hated doing homework and I realized that I hated doing homework because I didn't have anybody to help me. My parents at home, they didn't understand what we were covering because yes, even though they graduated high school, they, <laughs> as they would say, they flew by school. They didn't pay attention. They just went to school just to go to school. They just got the points to get the points, but they never really retained that information or paid attention to it. So it was really hard to get that kind of homework help because my father was always working. My mother didn't understand the content. She didn't understand the language. And I just didn't have the same kind of academic support at home that I had in school. So I hated homework. I hated it because I was like, if nobody's going to help me, why am I doing this? So I just didn't do my homework. And as you can probably guess, that didn't work out so well for me, <laughs> especially in parent-teacher conferences. Oh my God. But still, I loved learning. I loved going to school every day. Even though I hated some subjects like math and science and even gym, I loved, loved going to school because I knew every day I went to school, I was reading a new interesting story. I was learning something new in history. Granted, a lot of it were lies by white people. But still, I loved learning it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. It felt... Oh, it just gave me this confidence and this inspiration, especially when you learn about these heroes in history and this you just grow up in this country feeling like, you know what, you can do anything, especially when you're a kid. You you just believe like you can do anything you put your mind to. And at that age, obviously I didn't realize, you know, that there would be systemic obstacles to that idea. But I also didn't realize that it was a privilege to even grow up thinking that way. It was a privilege that kids back in my hometown didn't have. And whenever I would go visit my country um, throughout, like, summer breaks while growing up, I did realize that, you know, for a lot of my cousins, a lot of their friends, school was just, ugh, it was just something to do. They didn't feel that same inspiration, that same motivation. And I never understood why. I, I, I didn't know then what I know now. At that time, I assumed that they just didn't apply themselves the way I did. And that was the same thing I assumed even about my parents and my grandparents. Like, oh, well, maybe my grandma didn't finish their grade because she just didn't apply herself enough. Maybe she just wasn't smart enough to go into the fourth grade. But the whole time it was because they literally had schools that only went up to the third grade because they didn't think that those communities needed to be educated. I didn't realize that the reason that I never saw a public library in my hometown was because there wasn't none. There wasn't enough investment in education and they probably didn't think that these kids needed to read. So to me, it was crazy to think that my cousins weren't reading the same stories I was reading and weren't getting the same kind of inspiration I was getting and weren't being raised with this idea of you too can do whatever you put your mind to and your circumstances don't define you. They weren't growing up with that because that wasn't their truth. And again, this was a privilege that I grew up with. That, that idea that my education was my birthright, that's a privilege to even grow up with that mentality. Um, but it was also hard. Growing up in the Bronx, in one of 
the most disenfranchised, marginalized boroughs in New York City. Growing up in a borough where there wasn't enough investment in the education of students, where there would be three, four schools in one school building, each floor was a whole school, where classrooms were cramped, where the textbooks were old and ripped, where you were being trained just to memorize things and take tests, but, you know, there wasn't really much investment in education past that. There was an investment in after in extracurricular activities. Um, you didn't have the same opportunities of getting into specialized high schools or private high schools compared to kids who, you know, went to school in more affluent communities or just other boroughs like Queens or Manhattan. And it's no surprise that this level of education inequity disproportionately affected Black and Hispanic students more than it affected white and Asian students. From the school to prison pipeline, to the lack of cultural responsiveness from staff, to the lack of mental health resources and therapists that these kids need, because I was 10, 11, 12 going to school with kids that were experiencing real adult shit in their lives i was seeing real adult shit every day going to middle school but there was no counseling available to us there was no prioritization or emphasis on our mental health or on our just emotional well-being it was just all academic it was all you have to do what you're told and complete what you need to complete just so you can graduate and whatever microaggressions or racial discrimination or socioeconomic circumstances that we were experiencing in our personal lives that also affected our academic lives, nobody cared. Teachers didn't care. Faculty didn't care. There wasn't the level of consciousness then, and I'm talking about 10 years ago, that exists now. And these may sound like very broad theoretical concepts, but this actually affected my day-to-day experience at school growing up Um, and it affected like I said just my relationship with education from being in third grade having to take my first state test and actually being excited like I think I was the only kid in the third grade that was excited to take a state reading test because I wanted to show my teachers hey I'm just as smart as my classmates I can read too I may not speak perfect English, but I can read it. Um, And then not being allowed to take that test because I'm an ESL student and instead being given a test that was just so disrespectful, borderline racist, borderline racist. Like I'm talking about a test that literally was like, what is this? And then a picture of a house on the bottom and then A, a cat, B, a dog, C, a house. Like just disrespectful, just disrespectful. So I'm talking about experiences like that or experiences like having my white Italian teacher in the seventh grade embarrass me in front of my entire class because I had some trouble um, distinguishing between my Y and J sounds, like between Y and J. So she would literally say, hey, darling, say, say Yankees. And I, at the time, didn't really know the difference between my J's and my Y's. So I would be like, junkies. And everybody would laugh. And it was the funniest thing ever. Or, don't let me say yellow. Yellow. 
And it was just funny. At this time, I didn't realize, like, oh, my God, like, this is, um, I'm being discriminated because of my accent. This is, this is microaggressive or just having teachers say, oh, you're, you're not born here? You speak very good English for somebody that wasn't born here. Again, these were all microaggressives that now we're being taught about, but back then it was just normalized. And those experiences made me feel inadequate. They made me not enjoy school. I mean, I loved learning. I loved reading. But I hated school. I hated school as an institution. I asked myself why. This isn't the school that I see on Disney Channel. This isn't what I see in High School Musical, Hannah Montana. I mean, granted, yeah, it's television. But it wasn't the kids dancing in the hallways that I admired or what I was looking forward to when it came to middle school and high school. It was the extracurricular activities, the multiple clubs you can join, the sports team, and this idea of having a big gym or having a big auditorium or having, you know, a football, oh, I don't even play football, but like a football stadium in your, in your school's backyard. Like, I thought this was the norm, so when you go to a high school or a middle school where you're sharing schools with other people, you're sharing school lunch with other schools, you have different schools in one building and you're sharing one gym and there's not a lot of recreational activities that are available to you um, or, or extracurricular clubs, you kind of feel disappointed. And then also you don't realize it then but it's going to affect your plans to go to college. It's going to affect your academic future. Because simultaneously, there are kids in affluent private schools or other affluent districts in New York City that are preparing for the SATs, that are preparing for the specialized high school tests, that are being prepared to get into some of the best colleges in the United States. And you know you're not one of those kids. You don't know why. You still are too young to understand how. But you just know you're not. Just like I knew I wasn't. So it was this weird contradiction of, you know what, growing up in the Bronx in New York, going to school in New York, I had more access to resources than kids back home. But at the same time, my options were still limited. And as a first-generation student, which you don't only become when you're going to college, you're a first, when you're a first-generation student, you're a first-generation student from the moment you start school in the U.S. to the moment you finish, whether that's elementary school, middle school, high school, college, doesn't matter. Me being a first-generation student, I had obstacles that some students even here couldn't relate to. Um, for example, like I said, my mother didn't speak the language, so it was more difficult for her to advocate on my behalf when it came to school, or even my siblings' behalf. And also, again, she comes from a country and a community where parents don't have time to go and meet with the teacher just because. And parents learn that whatever the teacher says goes. Like, you don't you don't argue with them. You don't advocate for your kids because they're a person of authority and you don't question them. Even if the well-being of your child, their academic or emotional well-being is at stake. It sounds crazy saying it today, but that was the reality. That is the reality for a first-generation student. And that was my reality. My mom didn't have time to go to, you know, the 
the extracurricular shows. She didn't have time to just meet with the teachers during orientation or, you know, go to these workshops that would have helped her support me better academically because my mother had to work. Because these workshops were at 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. And my mother couldn't afford to not work and go to those workshops because she needed to bring money into the household. And my dad couldn't do it because he had to work. And they grew up in a town where work was a priority over school, even your kids schooling. And that's not a judgment. That's just a reality. Like I said, this is this is a fact. It's a, it's a generational difference. And it's the reality that, like I said, a lot of first-generation students that are listening to this probably can relate to. That experience of having to translate every school document to your parent and having to explain to them why something is a big deal. And even not everything is a struggle. Even when you excel academically, even when you make things like honor roll, even when you write a great essay or get a great score on the state test, you still can't share it with your parents the same way because they don't understand why it's a big deal. You're like, oh my God, mom, I got a, an 100 on this state test or this regents. Or, oh my God, mom, my essay was chosen as one of the best essays for the school. Or I got into the principal's honor roll. It was just like crickets. Like, okay, that's cool. Like, or, you know, that, that idea of like, you have to be the best, even though you don't have the best support of, oh my God, dad, I had, I got an 85 in my test. So why didn't you get a 99 or an 100? And it's like, bro, you're lucky I even got an 85 considering the lack of help I got at home. Like, hello? Or the lack of support that's available to me at school. Like, come on, bro. So again, these are experiences that a lot of students can relate to and that complicated my relationship with education growing up from the moment I entered elementary school to the moment I graduated high school. And they only got worse i know this sounds so bad but i promise you it gets better i promise you <laughs> it only got worse though when it was time to apply to colleges oh my god so senior year of high school end of junior year around senior year which is like the pivotal point like that's the most important part of the college application process um I had no idea where I wanted to go to college or what colleges I could get into. I just knew I wanted to get the fuck out of my house. And I just knew I wanted to go far away from my house. And like most students, I just wanted to live in a dorm and live, again, that college life that you see on TV. Um, and you think to yourself, well, you know, I know they, they tricked me with middle school and high school, but I know, I know what these college fees and college tuition i know these colleges gotta have like you know the state-of-the-art um athletic centers and they have to have the parties and they have to have the new books and they have to have you know what i mean like i i really thought like okay i'll finally be living that education experience that i always dreamed about but i felt like i never had due to um education inequity in my hometown like at least in college I can redeem myself and maybe college will live up to my academic expectations that's really how I approached college now because I went to a high school for performing arts that you know didn't they prepared us for college because they prepared us to graduate high school but they didn't really prepare us for college in fact, our guidance counselor, which is supposed to be 
the person to prepare you for college. We had a different guidance counselor every year. And I think one year we didn't even have a, a guidance counselor. Um, and senior year, we got a new guidance counselor. So we never really got to create a relationship and she really never got to know us. And it was a school, it was a small school of 200 students, but still she could only handle, like that was a lot of casework for her. So she only really prioritized, you know, the top students, the ones that you knew you were going to college, had the best grades, you can help them get the scholarships. And the rest of us, and I say us because I had a 1.3 GPA in high school. Um, by that point, I really didn't care about school past the subjects that I actually liked. And, you know, I had nobody to hold me accountable because my parents by that time kind of like let loose a little bit when it came to disciplining me. And then also they just didn't have time to go to parent teacher conferences or like I said, workshops. So to them, it was like, oh, do what you want. Just make sure you graduate. Um, so by that point, I felt like, okay, I don't know what college I'm going to, but I know that in every college fair I go to, these colleges is like, uh-uh, girl, have you seen your GPA? You're not getting in. And that's when I started to panic. Like, oh my God, what's going to happen? I know I have to go to college. I know I have to graduate college because, you know, one thing I did know was I have to beat that stereotype. Like my parents couldn't go to college. They couldn't finish it, but I have to be the difference. I have no excuse. Their excuse was how they grew up and the fact that when they came to this country, they had to work because they had a family. But what the fuck is my excuse? My only priority has been education. So I knew that I had to, like, that was a goal. I had to graduate college and make my parents proud and be the first in my family to graduate. That's like the goal for most first gen students. And I was lucky that I found a place called the Options Center um, that actually helps students from low income communities uh, get into college. They give them personalized academic counseling and college counseling, and they help you get into a college and even help you get scholarships. So it was through them that I was actually able to get into college. Um, and this is where things got tough. Or at least this is where things stopped going as expected and took a turn for the unexpected. So there is not enough alcohol, <laughs> therapy, <laughs> um, there is just not enough of anything and not enough self-care to help me forget my first year at college. There is just, like, that is just a year that will, I, I'm not gonna say it will forever traumatize me, but it's definitely unforgettable. It's definitely an unforgettable year. And I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna explain why in a second, because it still triggers me to talk about it to this day. Now, I'm not going to get too full into the details because that would be a whole episode in itself. But if you know, you know. If you don't, cool. Um, basically, I got into Purchase College, which is a SUNY college. It wasn't that far away from my house. It was only like an hour. Um, that summer, before I got into college, I got into college as an EOP student, which is a opportunity program that most colleges have uh, to help students that come from lower income communities. So that summer was very stressful. Um, I had a family member that ended up getting hospitalized. And at the time, we didn't know what was going to happen with that. Um, and it was it was very tragic for me. 
Um, and also just having to adjust to college was very hard for me. Um, like I said, I always wanted to go away, always wanted to go away. And Purchase was the only college, like a, the only go away college that accepted me. So of course I was going to say yes. And at the time I didn't, you know, I, like I said, I, I didn't have the kind of parents that really understood the college process because they didn't go to college. So they weren't there to help me with the college applications. We didn't get to do like the college road trip that most parents do. Um, I didn't get to tour these colleges with them and really know like, is this a, the place for me? I was pretty much solo in that aspect of my life um, in that experience. And the only person that really helped me was my counselor from options. Um, and she was just trying to get me into a college with my GPA, like, you know, so I didn't really know if this was the school for me. Um, but I went and there were just so many things about my first year of college that I just wish somebody would have warned me about. Um, as a first generation student, you don't realize how big of an adjustment it is from learning how to manage your time to just, you know, not having the luxury of having parents that can visit you and, and, and send you money when you need it and send you food and snacks and stuff when you need it. You're like, you're basically on your own. And as freeing and fun as I thought that would be, it actually ended up, you know, really taking a toll on my mental health for a lot of different reasons. It also didn't help that I didn't really like my school. And there were people in my grade and people in my school that I genuinely either didn't like or didn't want to associate myself with. Like, I just, I may have not had a lot of friends, but I also didn't want to find friendships in these people because I felt like they weren't a good representation of who I was. And if there's something I learned throughout my years in elementary school, middle school, high school, and going into college was pick your friends wisely. And like my mom says, tell me who you're with and I'll tell you who you are. So yeah, I felt very lonely. Um, I was broke, broke. My parents gave me $40 in, in move-in day. And they literally said, make this last a semester. And I was like, sh like, I look back now and I'm shocked. Like, because at the time I looked at it and I was like, oh, I can make this work. These $40 will not get touched because, yeah, like I could um, my tuition covered my meals and my board. Um, I was in the actual campus, so I would have to take a shuttle to be in the city. So it's not like I was going to be out all the time the way I am in New York. So I was like, oh, I can make 40 last. But looking back, I didn't realize how crazy that is. Like only $40 to last your semester. I can't make $40 last a week now. And it just wasn't how I thought it was, it would be like moving into a dorm. Um, from the fact that I always imagined having your own dorm as having your own room and decorating it and it being fun. But when I moved in, my parents, like I said, were struggling financially because um, a family member was hospitalized and they couldn't afford to buy me all these new things from the dorm. Um, in fact, the only reason I was able, and, and this is, this it took a while for me to, to be able to talk about this, but the only reason that I was able to afford um, bed sheets and a new book bag and new supplies and, you know, just basic dormitory things was because Options, the, the college counseling program, had this thing where 
every summer, like whenever one of their students was going into college, if you were going to a go away college, they gave you all these things. They gave you new bed sheets, new book bags, new school supplies. Um, so that you can, you know, survive your first semester. And I ended up needing it because my side of the dorm looked like prison. Like it looked like I was in a prison cell. I didn't have the resources to decorate it or to make that dorm my home. And that was just one of the many things that affected me that year. Um, nobody told me how emotionally college could take a toll on you. Nobody told me how, you know, having parents that couldn't really relate and understand your college experience could affect you. Um, nobody told me that, you know, parents, they don't know how to let go of you. So I had my mom calling me at all hours, at all hours. And it was hard to explain to her, like, mom, I can't talk on the phone because I'm doing this. Or mom, I have to study for this final. I have to do that. And it was hard just not having somebody that I could talk to about this, about these obstacles. I mean, sure, I had other friends that were also starting their college careers. And some of them were also first generation. But they were having the fucking time of their lives. Um, and they had at least a little more support than I did. Um, I really had no support because like I said, throughout almost the entire first semester of my college, uh, year, my family member was hospitalized and like, that was just the worry. That was the priority. So, and I was an hour away, so I couldn't go check in and make sure everybody was okay. I was the like primary, the the primary caretaker when my mother wasn't available in my house and I couldn't be that anymore but I still had like the stress of it the responsibilities of it um I still had my mom calling me in the middle of class like you know your brother's having a tantrum because my brother's autistic and at the time he used to have a lot of tantrums your brother's having a tantrum calm him down like I still had those pressures but I just didn't have support and I won't bore you with the details because um, I could really make a series about just my first year of college. Um, but let's just say it was, it was just a rough year. It was very hard. Um, mentally, I went through my worst depression I've ever gone through. I went through it in my first year of college. Um, it's very difficult for me to say, but that was a point in my life where I was having a lot of suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideation. And yes, I'm glad I stayed too but um, it, it was looking very bleak at that time. I, I didn't know if I could make it. Um, it was the first time I had to get therapy, like real therapy, because it was just so many new things that I didn't know how to navigate it. And I hated being away from home. It was a big culture shock and not in a good way. It was very, it was, it was just very traumatizing. And again, I had other personal issues that affected that, affected my college experience. And by the end of my first year of purchase, I felt like I was in a jail cell. Like, I felt like I did something wrong in life, and purchase college was my punishment. Now, nothing against the college. If you like it, cool. If you had a great time, cool. Everybody had their has their own experience. But my experience was just terrible, and I needed to get out. I needed to get out. I needed to leave purchase. I knew that if I stayed those four years... I didn't know if I was going to survive or if my mental health would survive. So I knew I had to get out and go back home. But yet, even knowing that, that decision made me feel so ashamed of myself. Like, I just kept thinking, how am I going to explain this to my mother? How is this going to look like Darlene has to go back to school? Because 
really what I needed was a break from school. Really, really what I wish somebody would have told me was, Darlene, take a gap year. Darlene, take a year to figure yourself out, to deal with what's going on with your family and go to college when you're ready. Darlene, start off in community college, get the credits you need, get used to college, and then transfer to a four-year, whether it's dorming or just a regular commuter school. I wish somebody would have told me to take my time because I needed time. That's what I needed. But I felt like, oh, I don't have the luxury of taking time. I need to graduate because I need to do this, you know, to prove this to my family. And I need to do this to make myself proud and make my mom proud. And the fact that the only school that I could transfer to at such late notice from purchase was a community college, the borough of Manhattan Community College. I was ashamed because there was just always this stigma to community colleges. So I'm like, oh my God, like I'm so dumb. Everyone's going to make fun of me. What am I doing? I failed. I failed. I just felt like a failure. And needless to say, that added to my depression. Now, this was all the summer of 2016. Like this was all happening 2015 to 2016 academic school year. And it was the summer of 2016 when I went back to New York um, and went to and transferred to the borough of Manhattan Community College. Now I told y'all this was gonna be a long college journey. I was originally supposed to graduate college 2019. That was my expected graduation date when I graduated high school in 2015. Um, so 2016, I go to BMCC. I start fall of 2016. But by this point, I, again, I know I need time, but I know I don't have that luxury. At that point in my life, I needed to find a new job because the only job, my first job that I got was at an AMC in Porchester near Purchase. And since I was leaving Purchase, I needed to find a job in the city. So I got a job at Best Buy. So even though I needed time, what I really was going into was being a part-time worker and a part-time student at BMCC. And I thought, you know, whatever, I'll get the rest of my sophomore year done here and then transfer to, you know, a good four-year college in the city because I'm never leaving the city again. I can never be this far away from a bodega again in my life. But it didn't end up working. It didn't end up working that way because I didn't honor myself. Um, I knew I I needed time, but instead I just I forced myself to go to school, and it just further um, exacerbated my depression and made me feel even worse about myself. And it 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 got to a point where I just lost interest in everything. I didn't care. I felt like I was just a zombie doing things because I had to do things like. Um, I didn't care about school at one point. I just stopped going. Um, I didn't care about anything, anything, anything. My first semester of BMCC, my GPA was a 3.5, but I felt myself like lost. Like I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this college thing. Everybody's doing so well and I'm not. I feel like I don't know what I want to be. I don't know who I am and I don't know who can help me because I can't go to my parents and talk to them about this. They don't understand and they don't care. They have bigger fish to fry. Um, and I don't know who I'm supposed to talk to about this because I don't have an EOP counselor, a C counselor. Um, I had a, a counselor at options at the time, but I just, yeah, I just, I felt stuck. I just felt stuck because all everybody kept saying was, you know, just do what you need to do in college. But 
that's when I started having like an existential crisis like what about after college but what about what if I needed to take a break but if I take a break is that dropping out because I don't want to be a dropout but if I take a break will I ever go back um and everybody kept saying don't take a break you're not gonna go back like don't take a break don't take a break so yeah the first two I want to say yeah the first two to three semesters at BMCC did not go well I started off with a 3.5 and went down to a 1.7 and then ended up in academic probation which means that you know I couldn't go back to school because I didn't have like FAFSA anymore because I was in our academic probation so I had no choice but to take a break I had no choice and I'll be honest I was relieved I was relieved I was like oh my god yes I get to take a break like I finally get to take this time for myself to work on myself and to figure out what I want with my life and it wasn't I wasn't at my best place during that time but I knew that I had what it took inside of me to get myself to a better place I just needed to give myself the time and I just needed to trust my process despite of what everybody was saying nobody can help me figure out this journey except myself that's what I realized by the end of fall 2017 and again this was not an easy decision to make I knew that to myself and to a lot of people it was gonna look like I dropped out as much as I told people I'm taking a break every time I told people from my co-workers to my family it was like but what if you never go back? But what if you go, never go back? You know how many people take a break and never go back? But but graduate, graduate. Are you sure about what you're doing? Just finish it off. Just just deal with it. Don't think about what you're going through. Just just go. Just just graduate. And there was just not enough emphasis in me honoring my process. It was just get it done, get it over with. And that's not how I wanted to approach my academic career. I was tired of that narrative in my life. I was tired of this narrative of just do it, which is just... Like, I feel like that's what you get taught all throughout the education system. Instead of enjoy what you're doing while you're doing it, it's just just do it. Just get it over with. Just meet this this accomplishment and do this and check this off your list so you can go into the next level and do the same thing. And that's not what I wanted. As somebody that loves to learn and loves education and loves what I was studying, but just didn't like the way it was being presented to me and still had some things to figure out, I knew that I needed to give myself this time, despite of what anybody else thought or what anybody else's fear was or even what my fear was. And I think this is where, I guess you can say, the second phase of my education journey really started. Um... And in this turning point in my life, in this transitional phase in my life, I started to not only really for the first time in my life think about how I wanted to navigate my education journey, but also what kind of education I wanted to receive and how I was going to make that journey my own. How was I going to implement education into my life into my career into my goals um and I told myself that my only goal wouldn't be just excelling academically but also excelling in other aspects of my life and my spiritual health and my emotional and mental health um even in my physical health because at the time I was like exercising hard and like in a diet and stuff um but just telling myself like I'm just going to work on my overall well-being and that's what's going to help me 
excel academically, but I'm going to define that. I'm going to define my own excellence. I'm not going to try to live by anybody else's standards of excellence, but my own. I'm not going to try to live up to my friend's standards or my family's standards or the standards of my former teachers or the New York State education system. I was going to define my own standards and live up to them myself. And this may sound small, but it was a big goal for me and a big realization. And it was just easier said than done. But that's what I did. I spent the next year and a half uh, taking a break from school, working full time, but also looking for opportunities related to the career that I was interested which, as some of you may know, is policy um, and political science. And I just realized that I couldn't expect school to teach me what life was supposed to teach me. Um, I knew I needed a degree and certifications to get to where I wanted to get to in life, but the lessons I needed to learn, the lessons that were really molding me, I was I was learning them in my personal and professional life. Um, and I just gave myself a chance to rediscover my purpose without, again, adhering to anybody else's expectations or standards. And I made a list for myself of all the goals that I had, my professional and personal goals, and I worked on it. I found jobs and opportunities related to my career that helped me not only get my foot in the door, but learn more about, is this what I want to do with my life? Um... And I ended up finding a lot of the answers I was looking for in my first year, my first two years of college. Um, this idea of why am I even in school? Am I in school because I really want to be or because I think I have to be because of where I come from? Because my parents didn't finish college, so now I have to. Am I in college because I really want to be in college and I really believe in what I'm doing? Or am I just programmed to believe this way? Um, and I realized that, no, I really did love what I was doing. Like, um, my first job, well, first I started volunteering at this place that helped Hurricane Maria survivors uh, get help, um, not only get access to resources, but get help getting housing here because there were a lot of refugees due to that hurricane so first I started off there then I started working at a nonprofit where they focused on voter registration and helping immigrants get citizenship and jobs so I spent almost a year there and I learned so much so 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 much I really really did um, and I learned that my passion is for community. My passion is for activism, that, you know, my story and the story of my parents wasn't an individual story. It's a story of a lot of immigrants and a lot of new immigrants and that the resources and the support that they didn't have, I wanted to provide it or I wanted to be part of a place or a project that provided these opportunities. I wanted to be an advocate for this community. Um, and that's where I ended up finding my purpose. And that's where I ended up realizing how policy really affects the daily life. The, day, the person that maybe cares the less about policy, I got to see how policy affected whether they got a job, whether they were allowed to get a citizenship, whether they were allowed to bring a family member here or whether they were even allowed to vote due to their past, due to whatever mistake they have made in the past. Um, 
I got to really engage with people in my community and see how much they are either being lied to or how much they just don't know about what's happening around them. And this this just added fuel, fuel to my fire. Like this just made me want to go back to school more because I'm like, okay, now, now I feel motivated. Like now I have to finish because not only because that's what my parents expect, but because I know that if I graduate, I can be in these positions and get opportunities to help my community, to give back, to pay it forward. Um, And like I said, connecting it back to where I come from and what I grew up seeing, a lot of these new immigrants that I was interacting with in this job, they either came from towns like mine or they themselves were affected by some kind of social, economic, or academic inequity in the Dominican Republic. And I realized that, you know what, despite everything that I've been through, I have so many privileges. When I meet somebody that did all their education and and everything and went to college there, and when they come here, they struggle to find a job. And they basically have to start all over. I realize that there's a privilege in me being able to go to college. Or when I have friends that recently migrated here and they are not eligible for FAFSA. They have to pay out of pocket for a college education that I get for free. I started to realize my privilege again. Um, and I started not only to realize it, for the first time, I didn't feel guilty about it. It was like, you know what? I can do something. I can use my privilege to help, to educate, to empower, to lift up, to advocate for these people, for these communities that I come from. That if it wasn't for a piece of paper, if it wasn't for a visa, I probably would still be in this community and I would personally be affected by these inequities as well. And even though, like I said, I was working two jobs at the time, um, both that made me work full-time hours but did not pay me full-time benefit, but that's a story for another day, Um, I still had some free time because I wasn't in school to just do inner work, to just learn how to meditate, learn how to journal, learn how to be with myself, learn how to reflect, learn how to... um, heal myself from a lot of wounds and process process my trauma process all these experiences um that shaped me for who I am from the experiences I had at school to the experiences I had at home and as you can see from this podcast that whole healing journey it's directly aligned with your professional goals If you don't invest in your healing and your self-improvement, your self-betterment, you can't fully achieve the heights you want to achieve professionally. You can't fully be your best professional self because emotional intelligence is a big part of success and of professional success. And I think one of the biggest keys to emotional intelligence is healing, is knowing how to process your emotions and learning how to discipline yourself, but also have grace with yourself Um, and taking care of your mental health so that you can compartmentalize and invest in other aspects of yourself. Something that I had to learn how to do during this break because I just wasn't taught how to do. Um, But anyways, before we get too psychological, um, 
that's what I spent my break doing, working on myself, manifesting my goals. 2018 was my year of manifestation and healing myself and learning how to find closure, but also learning more about where I come from and what education means to me. But also, more importantly, what education means to my community. Don't get me wrong, though. There were moments that I was still embarrassed to tell people that I was taking a break. And there were a lot of awkward moments where people would ask me, oh, what grade are you in? Or you're in college? What are you, a sophomore, a junior? And I didn't know how to explain to them because if I told them I was taking a gap year, I felt like they would judge me and just think, oh, that's just a nice way of saying she's dropping out. But if I told them like, oh, I'm still a sophomore, a junior, and I, then I told them I graduated in 2015, they'll probably think, oh my God, this girl is so dumb. And that's because at the time I still thought education was some kind of race that you had to finish in four years. And if you didn't, you were a failure. I didn't realize that it's your own journey and you define that journey. And that's what I learned in that year and a half that I took off for myself. And by the end of that break, I had a new job where I became an advocate for education policy. Um, I became a youth leader, one that advocates for an education system that's more representative of its students and that focuses not only on students getting to college, but succeeding in college and getting the adequate support that they need. Um, now I work for an organization, the same organization that I'm talking about, that prioritizes education equity in New York State, in the education system that I grew up in, that I experienced inequity in. And I can't help but think that was a full circle moment, especially since it was after joining that job in the fall semester of 2019 that I went back to school for the first time, still a sophomore, <laughs> still a sophomore for God knows how many years, but with a different point of view um, about my education journey. And when I went back to school, I was motivated. I wanted to be there. I didn't feel like I had to be there. I didn't feel like I was there to live up to anybody else's expectations except my own. I wanted to graduate. I wanted to graduate community college and get my associate so I can get into my dream school in a school that would help me um, learn about the communities I want to help and that would help mold me into the leader that I was becoming. And I used that motivation and that inspiration and that new sense of purpose to keep me going whenever school got hard or when things got difficult or where it got difficult to balance two jobs because I was still at Best Buy. During this whole time, I was still at Best Buy. Um, Best Buy plus my nonprofit job plus my schoolwork, it, it motivated me. It motivated me through a pandemic to continue remote learning and remote working. Um, and lo and behold, <laughs> this fall semester of 2020, I graduated community college. And I graduated with a 3.3 GPA, from 1.7 to a 3.3, ladies and gentlemen. I should really celebrate when I finally get my bachelor's degree, but the truth is, is that I'm proud. I'm proud to have graduated BMCC. I'm proud to have gotten my associate's degree because it, it took a lot. 
it, it took a lot to get to where I'm at. And now in my job, I learned a lot about, you know, how how many students don't attain any degree, don't even get their associates and don't finish college because they go through all the obstacles I mentioned or their own different kinds of obstacles and they give up because they don't have anyone to help navigate it. Um, and I thought about how close I was to becoming one of these students, but also the circumstances that lead students to feel this way. Um, and I realized that this associate's degree, it was another statistic that I was beating, but it was just, I, it was something, it was a goal that I accomplished. And the lessons tied to that degree, the time, the pain, the sleepless nights, everything, my energy, my growth, everything that came with it made me who I am today and molded me to be able to enter this new chapter of my life where now I am in my dream school and I'm only two years away, God hoping, fingers crossed, I'm only two years away, seriously, from getting my bachelor's degree, from being, I'm already the first, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. I am the first person in my immediate family to have a post-secondary degree, to have a degree outside of high school, after high school, to have any kind of college degree, even if it's an associate's, I am the first. I am the first. I am the granddaughter of a woman that had to drop out of school at third grade to work the fields and her granddaughter has a college degree and her granddaughter is about to get another college degree and her granddaughter gets to go to school that's her job to learn a privilege that she didn't have and at the end of the day regardless of what I've been through or how long or how tough or how exhausting my education journey has been it's all been worth it because I get to not only live my grandparents' wildest dreams, but make those dreams come true, make those dreams a reality in my lifetime. And I don't take that for granted. And that's what education has allowed me to do. And that's the privilege that education, with its obstacles and with its virtues, that it has given me. That's the privilege it's given me, the privilege to dream and to work to make those dreams a reality. But that shouldn't be a privilege. It should be a right, a birthright that every kid, not only in the United States of America, but in the world has access to, has the right to, the right to education, and the right to follow their own education path, not a standard one, not one that expects you to graduate in a certain amount of time, but one that helps you find your purpose and live in it. But that's not a reality for everyone. And that's not a reality for the community that I come from. And once I realized that, and once I realized the privilege I had to even have these resources that helped me break the cycles that I have broken and that I speak about breaking in this podcast, it allowed me to be more grateful of my education journey with its virtues and its flaws and its obstacles and the highlights and everything. It just helped me be more grateful of who I am and my journey and realize that, you know, this is perfect timing, that I am meant to be where I'm at and that everything was meant to happen the way it did because I had to experience those obstacles and that inequity to really empathize with the people experiencing it now and to really help them because I understand where they're coming from because 
those experiences are my experiences and also it just made me more grateful because again going back to my community to to hima to other campos like hima students don't get the luxury of time students don't get the luxury of even having access to internships or employment opportunities that are aligned to their interests because a lot of them it's it's hard for them to even get a job in general in retail in anything a lot of them get jobs for survival not to find their purpose but that shouldn't be the norm these students should have access to the same resources that me and my peers here have had access to because i recognize i understand that that has made all the difference in who I am. If I would have never ever had the opportunity to travel to the US, I probably would have been like a lot of the students of where I grew up in, where even if they were able to afford to go to school or the school uniform, or even if they were able to afford college, it still would be hard to get a job in my career because I wouldn't have the connections or the social capital or the economic means. And that's unfortunately the sad reality that a lot of these students are born in. But where you're from shouldn't determine your future. It shouldn't determine the access to opportunities that you have. Where you live shouldn't determine whether you're allowed to dream big or not. And that's why I started El Cibao Fundraiser. Because if there's anything that I learned from my education journey is that these experiences molded me and it's important that I pay it forward and that no matter what I keep moving forward. So with that being said, thank you so much for listening to this very personal episode of Break the Cycle. And if you're somebody who right now feels stuck or lost or stagnant in your education journey, remember that it's not a race. And it doesn't matter how you get to the destination, as long as you remember to enjoy the journey and learn from it.